Hello and welcome to a new series of the Zero to Finals podcast on paediatric infectious diseases. My name is Tom and in this first episode of the series I'm going to be talking to you about vaccinations. You can find written notes on this topic at zerodefinals.com slash vaccinations or in the infectious diseases section of the Zero to Finals paediatrics book. So let's get straight into it. Vaccinations are an incredibly safe and effective way to protect children and adults from serious infections. A weakened or inactive version of the pathogen is given to stimulate an immune response and this immune response leads to immunity to the full version of that pathogen. This reduces the risk and the severity of infection with that pathogen. Inactivated vaccines involve giving a killed version of that pathogen. It's impossible for inactivated vaccines to cause an infection and they're safe for immunocompromised patients although the immunocompromised patients may not have an adequate response. Examples of inactivated vaccines are polio, the flu vaccine, hepatitis A and rabies. Subunit and conjugate vaccines contain parts of the organism used to stimulate an immune response. They also cannot cause infection and they're safe for immunocompromised patients. Examples of subunit and conjugate vaccines are pneumococcus, meningococcus, hepatitis B, pertussis, which is whooping cough, Haemophilus influenza type B, human papillomavirus or HPV, and shingles, which is the herpes zoster virus. Live attenuated vaccines contain a weakened version of the living pathogen. These are still capable of causing infection, particularly in immunocompromised patients. The following vaccines are live attenuated vaccines. The measles, mumps and rubella vaccine contains living, weakened versions of all three viruses. The BCG vaccine contains a weakened version of tuberculosis. The chickenpox vaccine contains a weakened version of the varicella zoster virus. The nasal influenza vaccine contains weakened influenza and the rotavirus vaccine contains a weakened version of rotavirus. Toxin vaccines contain a toxin that is normally produced by a pathogen. These vaccines cause immunity to the toxin but not to the pathogen itself. Examples of this are the diphtheria and the tetanus vaccines. Next, let's go through a summary of the UK vaccine schedule. The UK vaccination schedule is constantly changing. This is accurate as of January 2020. It's also slightly different depending on when the child was born. It's always worth looking up the latest version when you're giving vaccines or studying for your exams. You can find the latest information on the gov.uk website. This is just a summary of the UK vaccination schedule to help with your exams. The first three vaccines are given at 8 weeks, 12 weeks and 16 weeks of age. At 8 weeks, the baby will get the 6-in-1 vaccine, which contains diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, polio, haemophilus, influenza type B and hepatitis B. They also get the meningococcal type B vaccine and the rotavirus oral vaccine. At 12 weeks, the baby will get the 6-in-1 vaccine again, 
plus the pneumococcal vaccine, which contains 13 different serotypes of pneumococcus, and again the rotavirus oral vaccine. Then at 16 weeks, they'll get the 6-in-1 vaccine again, and the meningococcus type B vaccine again. The next set of vaccines after the first three come at one years of age. At one year, they get the two-in-one vaccine, which contains Haemophilus influenza type B and meningococcal type C. They get the pneumococcal vaccine again. They get the meningococcal type B vaccine again. And at one year, this is when they get their first dose of the MMR vaccine, which contains measles, mumps and rubella. After this, they get a yearly influenza vaccine between the age of 2 and 8 years old, and this is the nasal influenza vaccine. At 3 years and 4 months, they get the 4-in-1 vaccine, which contains diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis and polio, and they get their second dose of the MMR vaccine. Then school children aged 12 to 13 years get the human papillomavirus, or HPV, vaccine. This vaccine comes as two doses given 6 to 24 months apart, and this is given in schools. Then finally, at 14 years, children get a 3-in-1 vaccine containing tetanus, diphtheria and polio, and the meningococcal groups A, C, W and Y vaccine. Let's talk in more detail about the human papillomavirus HPV vaccine. The HPV vaccine is ideally given to girls and boys before they become sexually active. The intention is to prevent them from contracting and spreading HPV once they become sexually active. The current NHS vaccine is Gardasil, which protects against strains 6, 11, 16 and 18 of the human papillomavirus. Strains 6 and 11 cause genital warts, and strains 16 and 18 cause cervical cancer. A quick Tom tip for you. A common exam task is to counsel parents about their child receiving the HPV vaccine. Often the simulated parent will be upset because they believe this implies their daughter or their son is sexually promiscuous. When you're counselling them, focus on the fact that it needs to be given before they become sexually active so that it protects them from cervical cancer and genital warts. HPV is very common and infection is the number one risk factor for developing cervical cancer. So this vaccine potentially could save their life from cancer. Next, let's talk in more detail about the BCG vaccine for tuberculosis. The BCG vaccine is offered from birth to babies who are at higher risk of developing tuberculosis. These are babies with relatives from countries of high TB prevalence or those that live in urban areas with a high rate of TB. It may also be given to children arriving from areas of high TB prevalence or those in close contact with somebody who has a diagnosis of TB. Next, let's talk about the link between the MMR vaccine and autism. Andrew Wakefield published a paper in 1998 in The Lancet where he performed a series of tests on 12 children with autism and chronic enterocolitis. He reported that it appeared that they started to have features of autism after the MMR vaccine was given. This was very anecdotal evidence based on parents' perceptions about when the issue started. 
This paper caused a very big media response that generated a lot of fear amongst parents and uncertainties amongst doctors about how safe the MMR vaccine was and whether it could cause autism. Since then, the MMR vaccine, as well as other vaccines, have been extensively investigated with much more rigorous scientific research and statistical power, such as meta-analysis with over 1 million patients. All subsequent scientific literature has disproved any link between the MMR vaccine and autism, and we can confidently say that there's no link between the two. Finally, let's talk about post-vaccination fever. Children can get a fever after having their vaccines. This is most common with the meningococcal type B vaccine given at 8 and 16 weeks. The post-vaccination fever tends to peak around 6 hours post-vaccine, but it can appear up to 48 hours after the vaccine. Paracetamol and ibuprofen can be used to treat the fever and bring the temperature down. So thanks for listening to this episode on vaccinations. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. You can find written notes on all of the podcast episodes in the Zero to Finals books, which are available on Amazon. And you can find full audiobook versions of the Zero to Finals books on Audible, which are available to download so you can take all the topics with you, listen individually or listen to the books from cover to cover in preparation for your exams. You can find all the notes as well as videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerodefinals.com and I hope you tune in for the next episode where we'll talk about paediatric sepsis.